Oh my god, what am I doing? Hi everybody, welcome to Just Thinking Out Loud. My name is Desiree. I'm speaking today with Rebecca Gould. She is a professor of Islamic and Comparative Literature at um, the University of Birmingham. And uh, she's working on the intersections of literary, political, and legal theory. I uh, found her because I was doing my piece on the Vox Apocalypse, and I really enjoyed her take on drawing a distinction between hate speech and um, expressing views, and uh, that hate speech is different from, what was it, words that harm are different mm -hmm. Words from... that offend. Say that again, sorry. Words that offend. Words that are offend are different from words right. that harm. Um, so that's how I found her. And I also would like for her to introduce herself to you as well so sure. you can know where she's coming from. Hi. Hello, Desiree. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, yes, so I work on many different aspects of uh, culture, past and present, uh, but I've become increasingly interested in issues of free speech and hate speech. Um, I might mention, I don't know um, where most of your viewers come from, but I'm American uh, by background and sort of transplanted to the UK. And I think that's maybe part of the origin of my interest in this topic, because um, they're in many ways, UK and United States are very similar, um, certainly on superficial levels. But I, after living in the UK for maybe three or four years, really, I was really struck by a difference in attitudes to free speech. And so I've sort of learned a lot. I've, in fact, I've learned a lot about American approaches by looking at it from a UK perspective and vice versa. And so I think my my angle on this topic is very much um, shaped by by the by my awareness of that. I was really so that that sort of made made it a a contemporary issue for me. Uh, but yes, I work on many different topics, mostly to do with sort of the Islamic world in a very broad sense. Okay. Um, uh, I want to talk about specifically about the IHR definition stuff, but mm -hmm. first of all, could you describe what are the differences between yes. the, the approach sure. to speech between America and uh, the UK? Sure. Uh, well, the obvious big difference is the First Amendment, uh, right, which exists in, the, in which is foundational for uh, certainly um, jurisprudence in the United States for the past 100 years and is often linked to uh, the, the U.S. is traditionally very wide uh, birth given to uh, controversial, offensive, even racist speech, right? It's it's not legal to to ban racist speech, for example, in the U.S. The contrast in the U.K., uh, it's not only it's not only about not having a First Amendment. There isn't, in fact, a written constitution in the U.K. So so the, the legal situation is very different. Um, but and people just there isn't a, a First Amendment right, for example, to make racist statements. It, and and uh, so so there is um a sense where if someone crosses a line um, between over, you know, say beyond what is um, accepted that they should be saying, then there are can be consequences for their employment, for their, you know, whatever kind of professional status they have, and that's that's accepted as part of the um, the way things should work in a liberal democracy in the UK. Um, now, I should so so I think legally it's a very different situation, but I think as as anyone who's sort of been closely watching the US situation might notice is that this ideal, the free speech ideals, are not always. Um, adhere to, right? So I, I, I think, um, I, so I, I do think a lot of the, the issues, the similar issues arise, right? There's all kinds of constant violations of free speech in the United States. Um, it, but, but there is a legal framework for pushing back against it. Whereas in the UK, um, I mean, there's the European Court of Human Rights has some sort of uh, broad wording about protecting freedom of expression, but it's not, 
it's not nearly as consequential as in as in the uh, the the U.S. So so there's just a different framework for for kind of defending free speech rights. Right. I mean, I I never really thought about this. I know that in the U.K. they have common law, but I never really thought about the fact that there isn't a constitution with amendments right. that you can point mm-hmm. to and say, hey. This is our right as a citizen of this country. I hadn't really thought about it. So that's a good point. I want to point out to my uh, listeners or viewers that Rebecca, at least in her Twitter, did describe herself as a non-aligned leftist. I think that might be important because for a lot of my audience, I'm not sure what they are, but I think they're slightly right-wing or libertarian. That's what I would describe Uh them as, but I'm not actually sure. It's just the kind of people who are, you know, attracted to my content. Um, And now I want to specifically talk about um, your work on the IHRA, which stands for the International Holocaust, Holocaust, sorry, Remembrance Alliance and their new definition of anti-Semitism and your thoughts on that. And by the way, uh, Rebecca has a great um, Twitter thread that's pinned to her profile. It's (laughs) It's 16 tweets long. I thought it was awesome and I wish more people could see it. Like you just talk oh, about thank like you your so work much. You're welcome. Right. And I guess I could share the Twitter, my Twitter handle. It's very easy to remember. R-R-G-O-U-L-D. So that's easy to find. Happy mm-hmm. to hear from people. Uh, by the way, yes, just in that, that point that you made is interesting about sort of um, right wing or libertarian followers. I think, well, and you, but you also write, take a deep interest in free speech. And so it's interesting. Right. I was certainly, for, for me, the, and I certainly do identify as leftist, but I identify as a leftist who is different uh, in, in certainly in, in the sense of caring about free speech. So I'm very interested to know why it is that we live in a moment when it, it seems that um, it's become associated with certain political um, leaning, whereas it really shouldn't be because it's it's a basic human right for everyone. But anyway, that's another conversation. Okay, so yes, I can give you a lot of background about, um, yeah, the, the IHRA definition, um, uh, which is really... Transform. I mean, in a negative sense, transformed politics um, in the UK context. Uh, particularly, anyone who follows UK politics will know about sort of the Labour Party has been under constant pressure to adopt this definition. So, sorry. So, backtrack a little bit. Um, it's a it's a definition that actually has been around for a while, um, for about maybe a decade or so. Um, and basically, it has to do with how we think about what is anti-Semitism, how we define it. Um, the the sources the the sort of historical motivation for it originally, which I think is not it, it's perfectly understandable. Um, there was concern, I guess, this was in the 1990s um, in Germany. Uh, there was a concern that certain hate crimes uh, were not being classified as anti-Semitic when they were. Um, so, for example, if a, if a synagogue was attacked, um, uh, Jewish communities were concerned that, that there was a kind of hesitance on the part of the police to classify that as a hate crime. So I, so the problem, I think, is a real problem, something you know we should acknowledge as a, an issue you know, that, that I, I do support hate crimes being classified as hate crimes, uh, right, and, and kind of having a specific... Um, focus on, on on punishing them and stopping them, um, but I also support free speech without limits, basically. So, um, um, yes. Yeah, so, so, so the solution I think was problematic, uh, which was that um, that yeah, anti-Semitism was 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 sort of redefined um, uh, as being. Uh, well, there's a whole series. You could look it up on the website. It's, uh, I, I think, uh, it's easy to, I mean, if you Google it, you'll find the website immediately. But there's basically a very short definition, which isn't, it's just very vague, saying that it's, um, anti-Semitism is 
the um, uh, treating uh, uh, hostility towards Jews or those who are, who are perceived as Jews. I mean, there are better definitions around, but it's not quite as um, unhelpful or problematic as the examples that are given. Um, and these also have kind of been incorporated into it. So it's been adopted now. It's being adopted by governments. The UK government has adopted this definition. Okay. Um, and what one example, so it has, it's not a law. Um, and this is also part of the whole confusing thing of it. It's not a law because to adopt, when you adopt a definition, a government, at least a democracy does not, uh, that, you know, you have to go through through a parliament, right. but it has policy implications and, and there are certainly people who would like to make it a law. Um, so one, so some of the problematic examples, for example, there's a clause saying sort of denying the Jewish people, the right of um, self-determination is an example of anti-Semitism. I mean, oh. it's very focused on speech. Right. And, and it's, it's overwhelmingly, whereas there are actually synagogues are being burnt, you know, things, people are being physically harmed, attacked, but that is not the focus of what, how this definition defines anti-Semitism. So it's very strange. Um, and, but it's also somehow symptomatic. I mean, what I, I there's a lot, as you can imagine, um, particularly for people involved in the sort of Palestine-Israel debate, um, there's a lot of sort of specific focus about how awful this definition is. And I, I support that view. But what, what really struck me when I was sort of looking at, I was asking myself, like, how did, how did any government or any really rational, sane person come around to kind of accepting something like this as, as useful or helpful? And what I started noticing, and I think this is a bit different maybe from other, other colleagues who are opposed to the definition like I am, I started noticing it's actually very similar to speech codes um, in the United States. Um, and that, that's where I see the origin of this definition. So for example, in the 1990s, 1980s, 1990s, um, the, for different kinds of racisms, uh, right? There was, there was a turn in, especially on university campuses, to ban certain kinds of racist speech. And this, at this point, anti-Semitism wasn't part of the conversation. It was just um, making, saying things that, that, that people found offensive, um, anti-women speech and so forth, and just banning it, right? So, so excluding students from dorm rooms. Um, and it was part of a law school, like a, there was a legal movement around this called critical race theory. And I started looking at the way in which there was this assumption that if we just ban offensive speech, we'll get rid of the problem of racism. And that's where I see um, the IHRA definition. That's where I see the origins. Now, of course, that's that's a controversial thing to say simply because um, a lot of the people who were involved in the critical race theory movement um, were very much, um, they define themselves as leftists, uh, liberals, and they they themselves would oppose a, a, something like the IHRA definition because that's associated with sort of right-wing um, Zionism and supporting the state of Israel, which those two th things don't often go together, right? But I see a similar in both movements. Um, there's a similar focus on um, the problem being uh, offending, and, and, yeah, offensive speech. And also what's interesting is that this IHRA definition, um, uh, and particularly those who promote it, um, insist that the only person who has the right to decide what is or is not anti-Semitic is uh, a Jewish person, and and that and specifically the Jewish person who identifies with the state of Israel, which, I mean, if you, if you sort of personalize the definition of racism in that subjective way, uh, and you give that a legal force, um, it I mean, chaos can result. So, so that's something also that kind of it's like identity, and there's a real focus on identity, identity, um, a person's identity as being giving them a special authority to not just to kind of decide what's offensive, but actually in this case to decide what's legal and not. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, in the UK was one of the first um, first governments in the world to adopt that, and uh, and it really changed. I mean, um, it has changed certainly. Um, uh, the 
the politics or even just discussions um, in, 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 in the UK, in, especially on university campuses, uh, events were canceled uh, because they were seen as it being in violation of the definition. If the idea was, you know, if they didn't include a pro-Israeli perspective, then they might be in violation actually of one university set of the law, which was a flawed interpretation, but it did happen. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm going to an event um, uh, to, uh, Sunday. It's called uh, Pal Expo, Palestinian Expo, and it's just an event about Palestinian events. And a group of lawyers is now trying to get it canceled uh, based on this definition. They're they're making legal threats. Um, and so I don't, you know, so I don't. Um, so on the one hand, um, you know, I, I certainly I see myself as aligning with the Palestinian cause and so on, but I don't want to reduce it to that. I think this is something that certainly conservatives should care about. And even as I try to argue, I think people who are supportive of Israel should also care about it because this isn't the way to win an ideological battle, you know, by silencing your opponent. So it's a complicated introduction. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was great. <clears throat> so there are a couple of things you touched on about, the, about people focusing on uh, speech versus actual acts um, of violence yeah. and also about someone who has a certain identity being given special authority to define what uh, hatred against them is. Um, so I kind of want to talk about that, but I've, I looked up online, I went to Holocaust, remember, mm -hmm. while you were talking because I was trying to Great. find this definition. Great. Uh, there's a PDF that's posted um, 26th of May correct. 2016, is that the correct that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the they have a, in big bold letters that they would like to adopt the following non-legally binding working definition yeah. of anti-Semitism. I just want like the people listening to hear. Um, so in quotes, anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews, which may be expressed as hatred towards Jews. Rhetorical and physical manifestations of anti-Semitism are directed towards Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property toward Jewish community institutions and religious facilities. That's end quote. And then they have some examples to serve as illustrations. Um, I, I won't go through them, but the PDF is right. at holocaustremembrance.com. And before we keep talking, I just want to um, point out a bit of my own background is that I grew up in um, Jamaica and there isn't really much talk about Jews or anti-Semitism or any of that. So a lot of this stuff was something I had to kind of pick up peripherally hear, hearing people talk about it. I only really knew that the Holocaust happened and there was Hitler and that, that was pretty much it. Wow. Like that, that's like, because most of Caribbean history is like about like slavery and that's like the kind sure. of stuff they focus on. They don't necessarily focus on this stuff. So um, it's interesting to me, like hearing people talk about something that I'm not so familiar with and then I can also relate it back to, um, you know, my own experience being like an immigrant, a dark skinned person and that kind of stuff. Uh, but they do point out in this definition, rhetorical and physical manifestations. So Yes, absolutely. So absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's not the case that I every single word of that document I disagree with. It's not, you know, there are certainly, there is, you know, there, they mentioned Holocaust denial, which I think is, is, a, is a huge, I mean, it's not necessarily numerically huge, but it's certainly a classic example of anti-Semitism. There's nothing to be said. There's no way to defend that, right? So it's, it's right. you know, certainly their right to point that out is awful. Um, but it's a question of emphasis, right? So um, of their 11 examples, seven of them are about Israel. Um, and if the goal is to sort of really focus on on harm, you know, on actual and, and not to um, 
to violate the to abridge free speech. It's not that's not really the way to go, right? There's I think you could say overall there's there is a turn towards um, the because a criminalization, um, even though it does say non legally binding, um, that it's the the contextual point is that it's being used as if it were a law. Um, so there's an overall trend towards a criminalization of speech, uh, which again, I don't, and I, you know, to the point about being from Jamaica, I think it's good you're, you know, to, to engage with this because I sort of, my, my goal here is not as in my involvement in this issue is not to kind of um, demonize the specific definition. I, I see it as part of a broader phenomenon and I don't, so I don't want to reduce it to this one thing. Um, yeah, it's just I, I that it, it's, it's, I think it's the, the mystery for me, I think, you know, everyone I talk to, we've been sort of following this slowly and thinking, okay, like this isn't really the best definition out there. Why is it being, um, embraced by so many people? And I think that the explanation for that isn't, cannot be reduced to just what's happening in terms of anti-Semitism. It has to do with a broader cultural attitude and a cultural desire to, um, to focus on, on speech as a source of harm, uh, while not focusing on harmful acts. Right. Um, and uh, can you talk a bit more about why is it that governmental agencies are trying to adopt a certain definition when this definition seems to have just been what gives this group the special authority to say that we can then influence the legal system of a country? That seems very strange that uh, that would be allowed or is people are trying to make um, that happen. Sure. It's complicated and it's a very could be a very controversial question. Um, there are many ways in which that could be answered. Uh, obviously, I mean, some people would point to the role of the state of Israel. I don't want to reduce it to that at all. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's, it's impossible to divorce from from international politics. Um, I mean, if you the countries that that have adopted this definition are the countries that um, are declare themselves to be um, in support of, of um, Israeli policies. So it's, it's certainly a geopolitical question. Um, just, just for clarity, the U.S. The US position, um, the, the State Department has also has adopted it. Um, and I don't, uh, again, it's, it's the, you know, there wouldn't really be a procedure through which the whole government can adopt a definition because it doesn't exist. And it, for, for First Amendment reasons also, it would be shot down immediately. It just couldn't be possible. Um, so but I think that's probably the most, the most super, you know, the most obvious answer is just that this, this is a definition that is, um, try, you know, creates, a, tries to say that, um, tries to make certain criticisms of um, the state of Israel. Uh, so I think what one thing, one one example in that definition of, of anti-Semitism is disproportionate criticism or double standards, right? The at the application of double standards to the state of Israel. Uh, that's an example of anti-Semitism. And you know, I think maybe that could be true in some cases, but it's just a question of whether it's useful to, to put that in a kind of criminal law framework. Right. Um, but yeah, so 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 that's th that there is an alignment between the foreign policy of governments and uh, the adoption of that definition. Um, it's also, but there is in the UK specifically, uh, there is a tendency to kind of propose definitions of racism as a solution to racism. That's been happening for a while. <laughs> right. Um, it goes back to. Um, uh, I mean, there was a, an inquiry um, into uh, a particularly awful case of. Um, uh, police 
ignoring um, a racist murder. And there's sort of an, an inquiry. This took place at the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, it's called, in the 1990s. Um, and so this took, again, what's, what's you know, a lot of these, these solutions, which I think are really problematic, actually arise from really serious problems. So I don't mm-hmm. want to downgrade the problem. It was a terrible thing that happened, uh, that this, this uh, yes, yeah, so someone was, was murdered and the police ignored it because apparently he was black. Um, and so sort of the, the British government, British public tried to sort of did, did some soul searching. And this is the solution that they came up with was that um, the, the, the people who have the authority to define what is racist are, are um, those who, so it's just, yeah, that those who are victims of it or those who perceive themselves to be victims of it. Um, and I think that's been, you know, it's, it's been, that's been really abused in the UK context, that, that idea. Um, uh, and I think particularly, it's particularly been problematic in the case of anti-Semitism, because if you look at the cases of who's been targeted, who's been called anti-Semitic, um, it's mostly Jew- Jews, right? Mostly <laughs> Jews who are criticized. Right. Right. It's overwhelmingly. Um, and so, yeah, the, I, that's where identity gets complicated, right? Because Right. Everyone's well, multiple things. Yeah, I, I have a real issue with this. This, uh, if you're of a certain identity, you have authority to define things like that. Because for me, this is something I, I always say: is that the experience um, of offense isn't universal. Like what you would consider offense is. And I also think that you're talking about most of the people who are um, labeled as anti-Semitic are actually Jews, and those people would have the most, I think desire to criticize because they're trying to reform the, the group that they identify with. They're trying to make them Precisely. better. So it's, it's almost, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And uh, I completely disagree with the idea that um, whether or not <clears throat> something is offensive or can be defined as hate speech against a particular group can be watered down or not watered, can be pinned on one person's opinion of it because that person's opinion is always going to be subjective and that it seems like you have to come up with some kind of standard framework that can be maybe not completely but way more universal than hinging on oh i identify as so i get to decide that this hurts absolutely or offends me absolutely i think in I said the last show that i saw you were talking about how it's about power and control mm-hmm. right and I, I i i think that's true i mean in the uk context you, you asked so why would it happen i mean it's very it's a great um pr move for governments to say that they're dealing with the problem of racism i mean that's how it's been playing out um and and so you know the conservative party wanted to show that it was doing it was sort of um above you know better doing better than the labor party and then there's a competition between which party is going to adopt this definition right. so it's become a yeah, PR strategy. Yeah, that's a real issue I have with politics in the U.S. is, as I understand it, I think I'm more pissed off by the left just because, yes, they were for what, what you call very serious issues, but then they use it, in my opinion, as a tool for PR purposes. But I also think the right is very much capable of doing the exact same thing, and then it just becomes this battle of who is Who's more, more going to solve yeah. this issue of, racism or hate like against groups and it's it's just I think silly but it also I don't think will ever really go away because there are also real issues that are people are having right. you know that that um people are trying to solve so right. I'm not sure what the solution is but it's definitely not the government trying to standardize solutions with I guess their programs and um right. in the process eliminating certain liberties that people I think naturally right. deserve to have even if sure. in some countries like 
countries outside of the U.S. don't recognize that legally yet. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> I always wonder, one of my dreams is if one day, the, I mean, I, I see the media, I think particularly in terms of the anti-Semitism, and there's been a tremendous amount of misreporting. Um, if one day the media just decided that they were not going to cover stories about someone being outraged by something, you know, there are just no more stories about this because it's, right. it dominates everything. Right. When, there's such more significant things happening in the world. And I feel like it brainwashes people, you know, to thinking of this is the news, that some person said some offensive thing to someone and then they responded to that offensive thing. What if the media just stopped allowing those narratives to control our lives? And and we started focusing on like things that actually, you know, people dying. <laughs> I mean, that's a difficult question to answer because I find right. myself caught up in it too. And I think we all do. But how can you ignore it when it's turning into like you're saying, legal stuff, because it's like if you ignore it, yeah. then it just gets worse. It's like yeah. you want to just reframe the conversation, but you have to you have to be on the defensive or else it's just going exactly. to keep pushing, yeah. pushing forward. So mm -hmm. it's a it's a difficult thing. Um, I wanted to ask you to um, go a bit more broader um, sure. in terms of this, because I have here in my notes for this talk some of mm -hmm. your quotes. So I'll just read. It's a, it's a little bit taken out of context. It's from your tweets. But uh -huh. uh, I have two things. One where you say humans <clears throat> as political beings will never agree on the most basic issues. So we must organize ourselves po politically in the expectation and hope of constant disagreement. So that's one thing you said. And another thing you said was there is no dichotomy between tolerance and free speech. We do not need to balance these values against each other. Instead, right. we need to begin by respecting difference and by distinguishing between words that offend and acts that harm. Can you just talk more about that? Absolutely, <laughs> yes. So I think that was directly coming out of a UK context where it's all about balance. You know, we're always taught, I mean, as professors in particular, that, or professors who write, you know, who are sometimes I do write controversial things um, that people have been offended by and uh you know the, the, they said so long it's okay to do that so long as you balance out uh this you know free speech rights with with tolerance but i think that's a very problematic view of both of those things because you know in a democracy you should be embracing difference and and it's not about um i mean there's something kind of um dictatorial about this idea of just you know being silent in the presence of difference why not engage with that and embrace it and think about democracy as something that requires um, that kind of difference. It's not just about, uh, I mean, I also lived in Singapore, uh, which has many wonderful qualities to it, but I don't think it's a model for free speech. And that's a place where there's a lot of tolerance. You know, people are very, um, very, if they disagree, they just won't say it. You know? <laughs> I don't, but, but I think people are also very unhappy for that reason. So, right. um, so, yeah, some, the American, I guess, at some level was coming out um, in me, although America is certainly a problematic place in other ways. But, but I, yeah, I think that's a really unhelpful, it's a, it's a sort of dichotomy that underwrites a lot of, um, a lot of uh, li traditional, uh, yeah, liberal approaches to free speech. Uh, but it's, um, it's something that, uh, it, it's so limiting, right? Um, it, we, we, you know, if, if, if the whole point of having free speech is so that we can have difference flourish, not so that we can sort of s put silos around it. Um, yeah, and, and in terms of uh, the distinction between um, harm and 
and acts that harm and words that offend. I mean, that's just a, a, an argument uh, from jurisprudence that I, there is definitely a trend uh, within the EU, within uh, within the UK, uh, within the US, probably not so much again because of the First Amendment, but to, to blur these distinctions. Um, and and I think that that's that's not it's not the way to it, what that's going to do is is just going to to suppress differences. Uh, it's not going to to uh, to create like what really should be uh, say uh, the vision of, of, of what some might call say a classical liberal liberal vision or a classical d- democratic mm-hmm. vision of difference where people it's not that people all have to be the same it's that they can actually yeah, that their disagreement is part of what makes democracy democracy. Yeah, I'm. You're touching on suppression of speech, and the reason why I actually found you was that I was trying to find um, examples of, there's this, uh, there are people who are, I think, influential for large tech companies who have said that people being able to discuss certain things amongst themselves has, themselves has uh, resulted in the radicalization of our individuals to the right wing and I was trying to say well wouldn't that couldn't that also happen in the other direction as well and um, I, I think you were coming up with some paper or something that hasn't is, isn't finished yet from what I think I was trying to find on your page something about that because I think that everything is framed in terms of uh, not everything like the people I listen to know but just say tech companies they frame mm-hmm. most things as extremism towards the right because they're so concerned about racism which they perceive as being on the right which I don't agree with but that's what they do so don't you think that this also goes the other way and don't you think um I think and um maybe you do you don't you don't have to think this as well that radicalization can also occur on the opposite end of the spectrum one and also radicalization can occur because you are trying to diminish differences and suppress differences because nobody's really researching that while a lot of research is going on to well because you talk about it you get radicalized but I think because you don't talk about it you also become absolutely yeah 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 I think there's no question about that I mean this the sort of martyr complex uh that most uh the the perpetrators of violent acts um do see themselves as as martyrs I mean that's part of it they're all I'm thinking of like say the Christchurch massacre right right and so on I mean they're racist and that's true but um, I think they also see themselves as martyrs and heroes. And, and I think the media narrative, in a sense that, de- I mean, well, not that I want to celebrate that, but I mean, the, the, there's a certain media narrative that, that feeds into that, uh, that they, they thrive on. Right. So, um, so yeah, I, 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 yeah, there is, there's a lot of empirical research, I think, to show that, that censorship is, um, it, it, it glorifies, it makes, it makes, it makes certain views actually somehow um, seem uh, exciting and uh, thrilling and appealing. Um, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, so I, 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 and it has, it's interesting how, how people have been willing to uh, adopt um, say definitions of anti-Semitism or to take measures to suppress speech without, without really going to the trouble to, 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 to look into the question of, is this actually, can you actually trace this to a hate crime? Um, often they can't, you know, and there's just, isn't that much effort. It's assumed, right? It's part of our sort of right. cultural baggage that, that, oh, this is, um, words cause harm. And, um, but what, you know, once you start doing that, 
and the dangers of the, you know, where do you stop? Where do you draw the line? I mean, there's no, um, you, you begin with, say, um, openly um, offensive statements and then, you know, uh, controversial statements and then just unappealing statements. <laughs> right. <laughs> it becomes very blurry. Um, yeah, I, you were saying that the U.S. is not so much in the U.S., but I do think I have seen a trend towards people wanting to blur those lines. Um, I, I think maybe it will take mm-hmm. a really long time to pass because of the U.S. Right. Um, uh, First Amendment, but I think it's possible. I think that people are so yeah. caught up in... Um, what I would call the known sources of violent acts. So we're we're very able to be like, oh, this is going to result in anti-Semitism or racism against black people because we know that this has happened in the past. And so I think that blinds people to other, like how they can sure. be recreating the issue um, because mm. there's so much, they're trying to stamp it out to the point where these ideas cannot exist. And I don't think you can remove those ideas that you don't like from the world. I think that's completely unrealistic. I mean, I think, I'm not saying it's not, it could never happen, but it is unlikely, especially because I think that past, that racial past or anti-Semitic past is very recent. So you still have those ideas floating around. And I almost think that by trying to get rid of it completely, you're actually just, you're you're drawing attention back. So... Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think another thing people don't think about when they they advocate for these kinds of rules is that every law or every regulation, even not even just law, it empowers um, authorities who often have a history of the very the very kinds of racism and discrimination that, you know, we're fighting against. Um, I mean, it's a very, I think, you know, people don't quite realize that that can actually become dangerous. It's, 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 um, uh, yeah, it, it empowers, like, another, a good example is this um, prevent legislation, it's called in, in the, in the U.S., or sorry, the U.K. context, it's kind of a parallel to the, what's it called, National Security um, Patriot Act in the U.S., in the, the, um, the U.S., um, where uh, some groups, they embrace it because they think, you know, it'll, it'll help, um, I mean, some um, even Muslim groups uh, think it, it's, it's, it's so it's, it's supposed to sort of counter terrorism, but it really focuses on on whether or not and, and viewpoints. Right. And so if someone has a kind of um, yeah problematic viewpoint, then is it going to come to the government's attention? Um, and it's, it's sort of divided the Muslim community. But I think most Muslims feel that it's increased surveillance and increased uh, the control of the government over them. And what's interesting is that so there's been a sort of response in response to the IHRA definition. Uh, certain Muslim groups, I would say particularly Muslim groups that have closer relations to the government, have advocated for for a definition of Islamophobia. Um, right. But this definition of Islamophobia is supposed to protect Muslims to also embraces the surveillance, you right. know, of Muslims. And so there are a lot of them who don't like it, but it's, you can see the problems that are springing up. I mean, I think that, that the division, the, just as there is, there's a kind of um, a fine line, when you start blurring the distinctions between um, uh, words that offend and words that harm, that's, that's something we need to be really aware of. Um, there's, when, once you start promoting the protection of certain groups, you, I think one should be aware that you're also, it, by implication, promoting their surveillance, right? right. And, and that's what's happening in the UK. So, so, so yeah, um, it's, we need to be aware of who, who are we putting power, whose power are we increasing when, when we start regulating things? Um, and again, what has been happening in the UK, I don't, I, 
it's not been, I mean, it's been in the name of promoting equality and peace and, but that's not been the reality. So, right. so yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a fundamental distrust of the government. So even if I would think, even if I think there are individuals within the government who are trying to do something they think is good, I, I don't trust the machine. So right. I would never, my, myself personally, wouldn't want to go to the government to solve right. those issues. You know, like the reason why yeah. people have gone to the government in the past, I think, and currently is because government was being used to oppress certain groups. And so it's like they you want right. to reverse those things. But at the same time, that's exactly why you shouldn't trust the government because... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's this assumption that we've we've moved beyond uh, that. You know, there's a historical memory of of a time when, um, say, even Europe or the United States, where you know government was oppressive, and there's this idea that like we've moved beyond that, right. which just isn't realistic. You know, the the problems with the state, with state control, are going to be with us forever. I mean, in a sense, just like racism. So, right. so I, you know, while I obviously support attempts to to fight racism, I think that needs to be done in the awareness of of who's getting the power. Right. Um, you touched very briefly on Muslims, and I wanted to talk a bit about Islamophobia because that's another thing that I'm not very connected with. I haven't mm -hmm. really talked about it on my channel because I, I don't think I know, I don't think I understand it well enough. Sure. I do know that generally when you have groups, they tend to be labeled based off of like the most extreme of their group, which is like Absolutely. not fair, but I don't really understand. Could you talk about that in the context of Sure. And hate Absolutely. And so mm -hmm. it's obviously it's a very controversial term. And I I, I don't I mean, the term itself is problematic. Um, but then so is a lot of terms. Right. Uh, it's interesting that anti-Semitism, in fact, if uh, one looks at the history of it, which is very I mean, the word itself is also problematic. Anti-Semitism was uh, originally the word was coined by someone uh, who was uh, celebrating anti-Semitism. So he we was saying anti-Semitism was a good thing. And now we use it anyway as an awful thing. But but so with Islamophobia, too, it's um, there's a, a big question mark over, you know, do um, is it legitimate to say um, that uh to because by implication of one talks about anti-Semitism, uh, sorry, Islamophobia, one is saying that um, it's wrong to oppose Islam, right? That that's what the word itself seems to apply, and and also the, the idea of phobia is kind of not um, it doesn't necessarily get at what's wrong with racism, right? It's very focused on psychological issues. Right. So so I do use the term because you know we, we do what we can with the language we have but i i do i mean i think viewers should be aware that it's not necessarily a term that i think is great uh, i think anti-muslim racism um would be better uh because often it, it, hostility or or even viol violence against muslims is often it, it does become a ra racialized issue it's muslims often from certain parts of the oh, world that's, okay. who look a certain way uh but but i, I mean I, so i think that's a good it's a better way to talk about it but on the other hand i mean we have to do what, what we can with the language that exists so so that's the first thing to be said about islamophobia um in uh and it's certainly um again it's a case where th there's no i don't think there's much doubting that there is a problem i mean there are massacres taking place in, in mosques and so on so something certainly needs to be done um i guess the the debate is around what is the the origin of that? I mean, is it is it hatred of Muslims as Muslims uh, and so forth? Um, and 
and again, the the response that's that the, the UK is has been taking place. The conversation in the UK is that um, we need to focus on. Um, there's a government report was just issued um, that about sort of how to how to combat this challenge because there's someone there was a, a mosque shooting recently. Um, there have been cases of people being stabbed uh, that were clearly driven by hatred of Muslims, hatred of Islam. Um, and uh, once again, I mean, the, the solution that's being proposed is all about speech and all about, uh, right. I mean, it's really funny that the definition, there's a definition of Islamophobia, which is fine. I mean, it's like a, two, a very short thing that says it's anti-Muslim racism. That's fine. But there is, um, I think, 11 examples. Uh, I mean, literally yeah. copying the IHRA definition, mm -hmm. uh, saying that, I mean, it's almost comical. It would be comical if it wasn't reality, right? Right, <laughs> right. And then it says, I mean, just as it's absurd, I think, to, to kind of criminalize viewpoints speech. in the context of anti-Semitism. So to say, that you know, denying Jewish people the right to self-determination is is like anti-Semitism. It, it says in the context of Islamophobia that it's it, it de denying Kashmir. Uh, uh, there's all these kind of political conflicts that are brought into play, which just aren't relevant to you know someone who's about to be shot. I mean, it's, it just doesn't <laughs> right. explain. Very, it explains very little, and um, and yeah, so that's being. I think that definition was just proposed a few months ago, and they and everyone who was supporting it literally said, "This is we we expect this to be adopted because of the IHRA definition is being adopted." So it's sort of a political game. Um, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see much coming of it concretely. Um, it's it's just it deflects discussion, you know, over real issues. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm certainly uh, Islamophobia is a problem, and and uh, there's no question about that. I guess the thing is, though, you know, a government that that um, that surveils. I mean, I think we should begin with government surveillance and begin with the messages that that surveillance. Um, uh, passes on to everyday citizens, right? So if, if a woman comes in, for example, to a um, NHS, which is like the the um, medical uh, uh, government me medical institution in the UK, and she wears a veil, um, she's instructed by UK law by this Prevent program. She should be sort of suspicious of of her, and she should ask her whether you know she's being controlled by her husband. And so that that's a kind of a viewpoint that's actually promoted by the government. Oh. Um, so it is just it, it doesn't make you know it's a contradictory thing. If the government is going to promote that viewpoint that we should be suspicious of people who dress like Muslims. Who can, I mean, then their efforts to fight Islamophobia are just not right. You know, who would believe that? Um, so I think, yeah, I think government should be held accountable in different ways. Not, you know, we. I, I think we put so much emphasis on governments that how they need to kind of um, uh, send the right message and you know make people happy and so on. But I just all I want is to be protected, you know, to be kept from harm. And I think a lot of people, if, if government could achieve that, um, right. Well, <laughs> I I think the government can sometimes achieve that, but the times when they won't and they might be the cause of harm, it's not worth it to me. But that I that gets into like fundamental political um, differences. Uh, there was something I wanted to ask what you were saying. Oh, about the Islamophobia versus anti-Muslim mm -hmm. um, racism. racism, right? Because mm -hmm. when I first heard people calling islamophobia racism i remember thinking but islam or being muslim that that's not a race so i remember saying something like that's probably the most i ever like said about it in public right. um that seems like a corner because i've never really heard the explanation that certain muslims from certain places are maybe treated a certain right 
and like the only Muslims that I like really are friends with are actually from the Caribbean. So they're not uh -huh. even like the typical Muslim. Anyways. Sure. I don't know anything about, you know, that stuff. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, yeah. So I do. I mean, I, I think um, that's absolutely. There's no. Yeah. It's, say a Somali Muslim in in the UK is going to have a very different experience than uh, a German Muslim. There's no question about that. I guess the just the justification. So I, I think I think anti-Muslim racism it helps it helps as a as a category or thinking of it as racism helps as a category. The justification for kind of keeping Islam as the common denominator is that often um, uh, this, these beliefs are, I mean, they're, group, they're, they're projected uh, onto, uh, on like the, the view, say ISIS, whatever ISIS is doing in Iraq is projected right. onto, say, someone from Somalia. And so that category is in a sense is created from the outside. It's not right. so much yeah, from within. Yeah, it's, it sounds complicated because, well, ISIS is doing things in the name of Islam. However, they cannot be used as the representative for all of people who follow Islam. So right. it, it's very right. difficult to, to piece that apart. And I, I do think that people who criticize um, Islam in this way, like looking at, say, the extreme versions of it, have to be very careful, as, as with any other groups, of making sure to draw that distinction pretty much every single time they talk about it. Um, I guess that's what I have to say about, sure. about that. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think um, uh, that, that, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's, it, 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 it should be focused. I mean, it, 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 it's more productive to think of Islamophobia in terms of racism, mm -hmm. and not not something that's kind of an ideological battle that needs to be fought. Uh, you know, to defend um, certain perspectives, or it's just that pe people, every human being, um, has the right to be treated as an equal equal citizen and to be free from discrimination and uh, not to be a target of violence. And so, in and all, and 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 there's and there's no question that that. My, Muslims are disproportionately targets of violence in the UK. That's you know statistically well established. Uh, so I, I do support efforts to challenge that, but I, I guess I do worry that the the direction it's taking is 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 not helpful uh, for Muslims. Right. I mean, there's a case in um, Vienna. Uh, There's a very controversial case. A few that sorry, not Vienna. Uh, the European Court of Human Rights uh, had a ruling recently. Um, uh, that uh, defended again. This was seen as, as a kind of protection of Islam in some ways. Um, they um, there was a woman in Viet from Austria, Austrian woman who had been engaging. She's sort of a uh, she would define herself as someone on the right wing, uh, associate of Geert Wilders, I believe, and uh, was saying you know things about Muhammad being a pedophile and so on stuff that I think you know doesn't have any scholarly foundation. I'm certainly not going to defend it, but I also think it was very bad, uh, very very unhelpful, I should say, to Muslims uh, that the European Court of Human Rights uh, ruled that that she'd committed a crime. Um, and, oh, uh, the blasphemy. because of what I'm she said. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, right. Of course, Muhammad what she said. Right. That was an example of blasphemy. And what's so what's so interesting there is that they use Christian. Uh, they use this sort of um, uh, Christian law, Christian tradition of outlawing certain kinds of um, anti-Christian speech. So blasphemy laws, really. That that, right. that was what was 
was activated. It was the Vienna court, so the Austrian court, right? Um, did this, and and I mean, as you say, you know, in fairness, she wasn't, she didn't um, have a, have to serve a prison sentence. Um, it was a, just a fine of, of something like five hundred euros, but huh. her speech was criminalized, and and of course, right. you can imagine what she's doing with this. Um, oh no, I mean, I, I don't really blame her, but I remember yeah, seeing exactly. a, um, there was something on Twitter about uh, a museum covering art because some Muslims were mm -hmm. offended oh, yeah. by it. I remember seeing that. I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I remember and thinking that. And it's also important. I mean, the whole question of representation comes in because, of course, there are, there are as, as with any group, you know, there are some Muslims who are against offensive expression, but there are lots of Muslims who don't care. Right. Who are totally happy with right. democracy and with different points of view. And so just letting that one vocal slice right dominate the conversation that also contributes to islamophobia yeah uh, that yeah, really bothers it, it, bothers me about when people talk about racism against that people in the u.s and i mean I've, I've only been here for like eight eight years now so a good amount of time but i also know people who've been there they've been here their whole life and they they also feel the same way i do and you just can't use like you said, the most vocal minority as representative of the rest of the group. And that's the right. issue just with all this identity stuff is like you can't universalize um, these things. I, I wanted to ask you if you had any solutions, like what would be a better di direction of trying to reduce the, like hate crimes, if any? I don't, I don't know if this is something that can even be solved by like the government and laws and stuff like I, I don't know if it's not them reversing some law where they're already um <clears throat> say like they have Jim Crow laws or something in the past where it's the government doing it and they're trying to reel back I'm not sure that the government can enact laws to change mm -hmm. hatred within people and do you know of any actual evidence of something that would work which controlling speech there is no evidence that that would actually help reduce racism, even though they're going, behaving as if there is, or assuming. Okay, uh, big question. Um, so, I, I mean, I can think of a few things, and, it, and it's, yeah, it's not all necessarily up to the government, I agree. Uh, uh, but I think um, the curriculum, looking at the school curriculums, um, looking at, you know, educating people, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's not, it's also true, right? People who who have some awareness and knowledge of cultures beyond their own um, are much less likely, I mean, they are not going to commit hate crimes, they're much less likely, at, le at the very least, like minimally, right? Uh, I, I think it's making people aware. I, I even think of my own education, when I look back on it as, as an American student, um, I, it was extremely, it was biased in many ways. Um, and maybe that's why my leftism is coming in a, a bit, but I mean, I don't think I was, I was taught how to, how to, I, you know, I, I certainly, I was told, oh, it's not polite to say offensive things to people, but I mean, how to really respect people from different cultures and, and not to kind of glorify my own. That's not been part of my education. I mean, I think in general governments, states, you know, don't, think they have to to instill pride in their citizenry and that's the first priority i think instead i mean let's let's try to move into a world where that's not the first priority let's educate people to be humble about where they come from and and not assume they're the best just because of you know their culture or their their nationality or their their race or whatever and i, I do think that mo that yeah educations in general are not at the, at the primary school level they they still tend to instill a lot of 
a lot of uh, racist ideas. I mean, not not in any kind of direct way, but but it does it doesn't open minds. Good. So that's mm-hmm. one. Yeah, that's one place I would start. Uh, I mean, yeah, just I mean, you, they don't learn about, say, uh, yeah, c- colonialism in the British school system, for example. It's still taught, taught a controversial subject, whereas right. you know, <laughs> it's 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 controversial to talk about colonialism, uh, but but their solution to kind of tolerance is to make it make racism outlawed. I mean, I think they should just allow people to, to say their thoughts and. Right. Um, and um, so education, um, and I think that the media, um, uh, I think, you know, all forms should be permitted. Um, but I think the media should be also try to educate a little bit and not just sort of, uh, you know, seek the, the most exciting headlines. And Slan- uh, I think and- the media is focused more on slander than yeah. uh, resolution. <laughs> That's absolutely. A, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it, of course, it's, it's for commercial reasons. Um, so I don't, I get, that's, that's a challenge. I mean, that's a real, how do you, how do you uh, keep kind of keep government out of it while at the same time uh, improving the quality of what's available uh, is a challenging question. But I do think if the media had a kind of awakening and, uh, and, and just, try to actually, yeah, just not slander, not focus on outrage, focus on things that matter. I mean, I, know I struggle so much as a kind of, as a citizen, just to kind of not have my, just to, to find good coverage that doesn't pollute, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. And, and that, that even applies to like, yeah, organizations I respect. So, so I don't know. And I, I don't think that doesn't also mean, I don't think government, they're a government like the BBC. I don't think they do a very good job either. So, so I do think that that would make a huge difference. I mean, how to make, bring that about in a, in a democratic way, uh, is a, is, is a, I mean, maybe, yeah, some, some wonderful rich person can, because we have a lot of, you know, corporate, um, people who control the media, I think who are doing unhelpful things with the media, right. Promoting certain kinds of messages. It would be nice if like someone, who, with a great vision, um, did try to do the same. I don't see that happening, but uh, I think that would make a difference. It's not necessarily something I'm prescribing for government to do, but I right, think it would right. make a difference. Yeah, yeah. So education, media, those are the main things, and and yeah, right. but and 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 criminalizing. Um, I do think you know adding uh, when something is clearly a hate crime. I mean, one example I could give is there is uh, where in the city that I live in, Bristol. Um, there was a case of an Iranian uh, refugee, uh, terrible story. Um, he was, uh, burned alive, um, uh, because he was kind of seen as an outsider and, uh, and it was just, it just the racism. I mean, he was, it, people just watched and apparently, uh, this is how it took place about three wait, years wait, wait. ago. Who was burning, burning him alive? Um, so just this, his neighbor, uh, he was in, it was called council housing. I, what's it, how, it like a housing project. Uh, right. he was a, um, uh, being, he'd been complaining to the police about one of his neighbors. I guess his neighbor had been accusing him of pedophilia, uh, because he was a bit, he had a learning disability. And, huh. uh, so, so his behavior was a bit unusual. Um, and, uh, he, this, so this neighbor who was of course white and I'm sure just not very well educated, um, was spreading rumors about this, this, this refugee, this guy, um, I guess he, you know, for example, he would sit in his room and, and look out at the window and, and he said that he was a pit of whatever. How I mean, it was nonsense. I don't see how it connects just because you're a bit odd. Like I know. Well, but people, that's the point is that people make, <clears throat> make these assumptions about right. other people. 
right? When they're, when they, whatever, have whatever's going on in their head. But I mean, I guess what's significant is that this, this Iranian refugee, he'd complained to the police several times. He said, you know, I think I'm being, I'm going to be attacked. I'm afraid. Uh, Because he kept threatening Mm -hmm. him. And the police just laughed it off. Uh, they said they one time they searched his computer for pedophilic material because he'd been accused of it. They didn't find anything, so they sent him back home. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, like the next day, he was he was torched alive. Um, started, but wait, this is an example of his saying, "Oh yeah, oh wait." So so, you know, I mean, but the racism the racism was there from the beginning. The evidence was there from the beginning. Um, and the, they could have done something, you know, uh, but they didn't. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I, I think that it is, if, if the government does send a message that, you know, like, uh, the idea that you're, you're targeting people because of their skin color and you're committing acts of violence, there's just, there's no mercy for that, uh, no space for that. Um, then, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a message that, that the government, that that's one of the good necessary roles of the state, so right, happened- to not allow that. <clears throat> What happened to that uh, guy who, I guess, burned alive? Good question. Over? Yeah. So, I mean, of course, the, the, the person who was burned alive died. Right. Um, the person who the who did it, he got a relatively weak sentence. So, I mean, I mean, something like 20 years, I think 15 years. Okay. And he was given, like, special. And I mean, it was not recognized as a hate crime. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of horrific. But, but I, I, for whatever reason, I mean, the government um, hesitates to um to um to kind of um, there's always some kind of i don't know like he was young you know he was 25 or something so there are all kinds of, he had a family things excuses were made for him basically for burning um, a man alive <laughs> i don't understand how you can make excuses for that yeah yeah exactly i don't either um and and meanwhile the government is sending the message oh yeah we're fighting racism because we're we're anyone who gets offended um you know gets special treatment I mean, right i see what you mean yeah yeah so that the focus on rhetoric and then sort of more lenience on exactly i guess information that could lead to something like a hate crime like be more proactive in that specific area not just what people are saying Exactly. And I think yeah. it, it lets, I mean, the, the reason why it, it, the situation is like it is, is because it lets the government off the hook. You know, it makes it easy. Uh, they just right. have to show a sign, sim- put, send out these symbols of positive messages, and then right. their job is done. Yeah, I, I think those are great suggestions about focusing on hate crimes or like preventing them um, specifically, and also the education aspect. I, I do think that Americans in general are very much more unaware of the rest of the world versus the rest of the world. When That's I'm, true. That's true. Absolutely true. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think education would help. And also the media. But <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't think it's that much of a leap to be hoping some person with a lot of money can put some funding into a better media. And uh, a lot of people, mm-hmm. they will push their own ideas, but not not try to... Um, foster they will foster dialogue while pushing their own ideas but they I don't think they're actually focused on the dialogue no 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 they, I don't mm-hmm. think they're actually focused on um, I don't want to use a really wishy-washy term but healing that, mm-hmm. that I think needs to occur because of mm-hmm. all the polarization I do think that's necessary or it would be very sure. helpful so mm-hmm. So you don't see the media playing a positive role? No, I don't. I think uh-huh. it's too difficult. I, I think, right. like you were saying, there are commercial reasons. Right. Um, 
And I think when you're super passionate about stuff, because I do think I completely disagree with a lot of what people think, but I think they're because they're so passionate about it, they're blinded to the harm that they can be causing by being so passionate about it. So, um, no, I, I don't really have faith in, uh, I have more faith in the media than the government, actually, but I don't have faith in the media. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have any more questions for you. And I, I think you really went through a lot. And um, yeah. thank you so much for coming. I, I wanted to ask you if you had any questions or comments for me either, because I, I usually like to do that. Oh, great. Talk. That's a surprise. You, you don't have to have any. <laughs> you don't have to have any. That's sure, yeah. Totally. I mean, I'd just be curious about, I think you said something about your background, but what about um, your plans? I mean, yeah. My plans. Like long-term, I suppose. What are your long-term my ambitions? Long-term plan, my long-term ambitions are quite simple. Um, I think I would like to remain in the, the U.S. Uh, that's not a given. I think that I would like to um, keep making the content that I'm making, focusing on this kind of social political commentary but also I'm into crypto related stuff a lot I don't know if you know like bitcoin that kind of stuff and then also um I'm an artist and I like to paint and I like to do those things and I would I would just like to keep working on those things and I would one day like to have a family as well and that's those are pretty much my goals which are I think they're quite simple great so yeah good luck I'll be watching your program in the future Oh, okay, See great. That goes. would be awesome. I was just realized I don't know if you meant like goals with my channel and like because I, I was just talking about that my too. Life. Yeah, actually, yes. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. Uh, okay, because <laughs> I was just talking about my life. But um, <laughs> goals with my my channel. Um, I think I would like to make more frequent content. I am in school and I have another semester, so I think it's my content is probably going to die down after summer, just for a couple months, like four months again for the fall. And then I would like to focus on research-based content, but mm-hmm. also content that I think is quote-unquote healing and like helpful even when I'm spreading my personal opinion out there. I do, I want it to be like nice. <laughs> like yes. there are people who say that I don't want to offend. Enjoy like, I've, I've mm-hmm. had like someone comment to me how I'm like kind of like I, I'm too wishy-washy and I don't, because I don't want to offend people, but that's because I don't want to be, a, I don't want to be a part of what's making right. social dialogue so vitriolic. Blair, yeah, yeah. So I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Awesome. Yeah, so I think, so, yeah, I mean, there's the human connection that go. yeah, I mean, that's a cliche, but it's, it's an important, it makes yeah. a difference. I hope so. <laughs> I, I, I tell myself <laughs> that all the time, but. It matters what I do, so I try to do the right thing, and I won't. I won't always get that right, but I'll try. Mm-hmm. So, great. Um, well, it was a great pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And um, anyone listening or watching, I would recommend going to look at uh, HolocaustRemembrance.com just to see what the definition is, even though I read it, and also the <clears throat> the list of examples that they gave in that document, just so you have proper context for. Uh, what we were talking about and you can also follow Rebecca on Twitter if you would like um, it's R R sorry R R G O U L D correct I think that's what it is that's her handle and um, she's also coming out with some paper I think there's a paper you're coming out with soon correct is Islamophobia right and I think that would be interesting 
whether or not you agree yeah. with her politics. I think you exactly. Everyone, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I should say my own views have changed radically. I think by being in the U.S., I, or the things I'm saying now, I would never have said in the U.S. In fact, I was probably a bit blind to the importance of free speech while uh, I was in the U.S. So, yeah. so I've changed as a result of that. So I'm not. I'm happy. You know, I'm, I myself, I disagree with myself all the time. Happy <laughs> to have disagreed with other people. <laughs> all right. Great. Well, well, thanks everyone for listening, and thanks Desiree for the interview. You're welcome. It's enjoy okay. If you like this discussion, do remember that this channel is fully supported by viewers and listeners like you. So you could make a donation at justthinkingoutloud.tv slash donate. And you can also find this content on other channels outside of YouTube. There's a podcast. There are people who are probably listening to this right now. And I'm also on Gab and BitChute and uh, other places. It's in my description. And you can also sign up for our newsletter at justthinkingoutloud.tv slash newsletter. So just remember that as well. And thank you for listening or watching.